Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. And shame is the exact word of the day. What we are about to discuss in this episode is soaked in shame because shame on the TV studios and networks and film studios that are destroying the lives of the very writers who make all of the content that keeps their businesses fucking running. Shame on them. Right now, I don't know if you've seen, but in the news, there's been a lot of talk about the writer's strike, right? And so just in case you aren't aware... In the United States of America, the the Writers Guild are striking, all of the writers across the country are striking, refusing to go to work, refusing to write a word, because they are being exploited in ways that nobody is aware of. In so many different ways, they are just being pushed and pushed and pushed to the very edge of what anyone could withstand. And I know that that might sound a bit frivolous, because this is writing and this is art and this is Hollywood and give a fuck. But it is important for two reasons. First of all, all of us during the pandemic were able to get through that pandemic in no small part because of content, because of music and art and film and TV that was made to keep us sane in our houses. I know as someone who's been chronically ill my whole life that film and television has almost played as big a part as medicine in keeping me alive and keeping me in one piece and inspiring me and making me feel seen and less alone and and less traumatised in my life. It's just been that incredible escape. Art is important and we have to protect artists. Also, the issue that's going on is analogous to every single fucking industry in the world right now. We are seeing similar things with teachers. We are seeing similar things with factory workers as technology is growing and AI is fucking growing. And as corporations are getting more and more leeway to not pay their taxes and fuck over all their workers... What is happening here is just symbolic of what's happening everywhere. And if we don't pay attention to this now, then everything is going to fall apart right in front of us, as it already is starting to. And so this strike is an opportunity for a much needed reset and an example to be set across other industries within Hollywood and outside of Hollywood. But deliberately, a lot of us don't actually know what the fuck is going on. And we don't know exactly what it is that the writers are striking for or why they're striking. And it feels very kind of navel gazing within the industry where it's like, it just feels very um, obscure. So I invited on my friend and one of my favourite writers, Megan Amram, who was one of the lead writers on The Good Place, uh, which is a TV show that I was in. And without that TV show, I probably wouldn't have this podcast now. And she's one of the kind of captains of the strike and she's leading people. She's very well informed. Uh, She also doesn't claim to be the authority on this because there's so many different diverse issues. But she was able to come here and clearly break down exactly what's happening, why it's happening, who it's impacting, what the impact of that is going to be for the history of content making, i.e. diversity being pushed out after we've just gotten to a better place. And she's going to tell us what we can all do about it. So in this episode, we break down the different issues of the strike and why the writer's strike is potentially more important than the massive one in 2007, which led to some of the most dog shit television in history in 2008, because that's what happens when you uh, destroy your relationship with writers and you push them to the edge and you try and go on without them. You get fucked over. We discuss how the industry has changed due to streaming and how the studios want to treat and pay writers so little. Megan explains how the strike is fighting to protect diverse writers and voices. We explore why proper compensation is important and why making a living as a writer is so difficult currently. And we get into the weeds of AI, which has kind of been the big hot topic, even though it's only one tiny part of everything they're having to fight for just to survive. 
And we talk about the parameters of AI and what the writers want around its usage. And so it's a fascinating chat. But if you are someone who cares about art, it's worth looking into because right now the writers need all of our support as much as possible. And so anything we can do to try to make sure that they feel supported and that the studios understand that we're not going to let these people who create all of the stories that we love be so violently exploited and taken for granted and pushed out of an industry they've spent their entire lives trying to make beautiful work within. This isn't about art. This isn't about people. This isn't the writers creating a problem and denying everyone else the chance to work. This is about corporations treating human beings like dog shit and how it has to come to an end. And so I hope you learned something from this chat the way that I did. This is the excellent Megan Amram. Megan Amram, welcome to I Way. How are you? I am so glad to be here. Big Jamila Jamel fan. So <laughs> I'm a bigger Megan Amram fan now. I uh, I know you from The Good Place originally. That's where we met. You yeah. were one of the head writers on that show, and I fell madly in love with you. And then was lucky enough to get to work with you again on Bumper in Berlin, uh, which we shot last year in Germany together. And the reason I asked you here today, other than the fact that I am perpetually obsessed with you, is because we are currently in the middle of a writer's strike. And yes. it's a very complicated situation that it feels as though there's a deliberate haze of misunderstanding around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but it just feels as though I things aren't is. particularly clear as to what it is that people want, why people are striking, why this is important, why this impacts the whole of our industries and kind of reflects the needs of other industries. And so I just thought maybe I could sit down with you, seeing as you are currently on the front lines picketing uh, with all the writers because you are a member of that union. I wondered if you could just break down exactly what's going on, what the implications are and what the needs are to be met. So, so first of all, the WGA is the Writers Guild. Can you tell me how we've gotten to the point where everyone's on strike? Yes, absolutely. And just thank you very much for having me on to talk about this because I do agree with what you just said, which is there has been both non-deliberate but also deliberate sort of misinformation about everything. And so mm-hmm. um, I am a dork and I am pretty well informed. I also, my caveat is just, I'm one person. Um, so I'm not an expert. No one is because this is all happening as we go. And it's but quite unprecedented. It is in that there's there's been writer strikes. There, the last writer strike was in 20. 20- 07, I guess is how a human would say it would be 2007. <laughs> I myself am an AI. I should have said that up, up top. Um, no, <laughs> Can actually. You imagine if I'd gotten Chat GPT to have this podcast episode with me. I don't want Chat GPT to do my job, but I do want it to just be my like social. I want it to tell me what to say in social situations. I think it would probably be cool. But to answer your question, so the WGA, the Writers Guild, uh, represents almost every single screenwriter, television writer, mm-hmm. and then, you know, some late night shows, some video games. Um, there's about 11,000 members. And periodically throughout the years, there have been strikes. I've never been a part of one. Uh, and they often concerned things like um, when streamers first started, we struck. I, I don't the past tense of strike is strike, struck, struck, stroked. stricken. We stroked. Yeah. Um, but we struck for, um, <laughs> you know, to, to establish the basics of like streaming, uh, pay. We have health insurance through our guild. But this year, the headlines of what we were asking from the studios, who are all represented by a group called AMPTP. Uh, which includes things like your ABC, NBC, some of those more traditional places. And then, yeah, and then you have the streamers like Netflix and Apple. Um, 
we were specifically looking out for this incredibly intense changing view of what even a writer's career looks like. And so it's this huge question of what is the job of writer anymore? And the very basic uh, picture that the studios wanted to paint to us for what a writer is, is they wanted to turn it basically all freelance, where it would be the kind of thing that you do for very short periods of time, that there's not as many people who are uh, writing on shows, and you're not compensated in a way that, you know, for a lot of people in a city like Los Angeles is even a livable wage. There's a lot of writers who are currently not making a livable wage in these uh, in L.A. and New York. I'll just speak to that. And they're expected to live in Los Angeles or near Los near these studios and near their headquarters. And they're expected to drive in every day in spite of huge gas prices and how expensive it is to own a car in Los Angeles. And now they don't even want to pay for these people's health insurance because that's what happens when you become an employee of a company. If it's just a gig economy, if you're just a freelancer, then nobody has any responsibility to you whatsoever. Yeah. And it, uh, I mean, it explains why I've been hiding in your garage. I had to downsize. I couldn't (laughs) pay my rent anymore. And I apologize. You know, I should get that out of the way. But it is, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot. I started in, I've been in the Guild since 2011. I was very lucky that my first staff job, which was a Disney Channel live action children's show, was a part of the Writers Guild, which children's shows are not always. Um, But it is a career that when I started, there was this sort of roadmap laid out, which was you start at a certain level in a writer's room if you're lucky enough to get your foot in the door and you're uh, hopefully mentored by people who are much more experienced than you are, Mm -hmm. um, which I will probably shout this person out many times in this conversation, but I was lucky enough to sort of fall into Mike Schur's camp who created The Good Place where we and Parks and and, and Parks and Rec. I wrote on Parks and Rec and then The Good Place and learned and an immense, invaluable amount from Mike. Um, And you sort of work your way up the ladder until you're uh, experienced enough and comfortable enough being on set to be able to run your own show, which I very fortunately get to do on our show, Bumper in Berlin. And what the studios are basically saying with what they have brought to the table with this strike um, is that they do not want to create those abilities for writers to be able to uh, learn and grow and rise through the ranks. They want, I'm going to now explain something and Jamila, stop me if I'm getting too like wonky about this because it's all I think or talk about. So one of the things that the writers are striking against is something called a mini room, which uh, traditional writers rooms are, you know, can be like, 10 people. It could be as big. I've been in rooms as big as like 15 people for a sitcom. And it lasts for a few months and not a few months, like multiple months, almost a year, depending on how many episodes you have. And you then are promoted the next season if your show gets picked up. These are the traditional ways that, you know, writer's rooms have functioned. A mini room is something that has become incredibly popular, uh, which is, you know, a handful of writers, usually who are already upper level, meaning they've already risen through the ranks, um, who are only brought on for a few weeks at a time, are expected to break the stories of the entire season of a show. Breaking story is just the sort of technical term for figuring out what happens in a season of television. Mm -hmm. And that is usually done in a TV room, like as a group. So it would be a small group of people for, you know, three or four weeks who figure out every single thing that happens in the season of TV. And then the showrunner would go off and be expected to possibly write the whole show by his or her or themselves. And it uh, is both neglecting to give 
good, solid jobs to the people who are in that mini room. And then the showrunner is expected to do like an ungodly amount of work, which I can tell you from being on the picket line, I have spoken with a lot of showrunners who have been on that side of things where they're like, we need to be able to spread the work out among people. And just to give context, because this is slightly unique to the United States, right? Because there's so many more episodes of television here than there are in other countries. For example, I come from Britain, which is notorious for having six episode series that only run for two years or three years, maybe. And so often for those shows, one or two people do write those entire shows because it's six half hour episodes or one hour episodes of television. In the United States, the norm has been 26 or 27 episodes um, per season. That is smaller uh, on the streamers. I think there's a bigger culture for a, um, for a shorter season, a short series. Um, but traditionally, how many writers would you say are in a room? Because I think when people think of The Good Place or Parks and Rec, they hear the name Mike Schur. And even though at the end of every episode on TV, it'll say which writers wrote that episode. Generally, we just think of Mike Schur as writing The Good Place. How many people were in that writer's room? That is a great point. Um, And I do think it is this like, TV writing is still sort of an inscrutable thing that like when I moved to LA and wanted to be a TV writer, I had no idea how that worked. I didn't know what a showrunner was. I just like showed up at a studio one day and had an assistant job and then lied for six years about knowing what a showrunner was. And then I finally figured it out. So I would say on a show like The Good Place, we had something like 10 to 12 writers per season. Um, and you bring up another good point, which is that it it's sort of left to the discretion of a showrunner of like exactly how to spread the work around. Mike always was incredibly collaborative as a showrunner, which I took on, you know, when I became a showrunner myself, it was very important to me to be very collaborative. So when you see the names of, you know, someone who wrote an episode of TV, in my experience, usually what that means is as a room entirely all together, you've broken the story, which again means figured out what happened. Mm -hmm. That writer whose name is credited usually goes off and writes a first draft and is sort of the point person for that episode. Uh, The showrunner, of course, will sort of oversee everything, make sure it's in her voice and uh, generally that there's continuity. But every single writer in that room, no matter their level, is given the opportunity to put their stamp on it, but also to learn from each other. And... This kind of like brings me to another point that we're striking against, uh, which is writers are no longer given the opportunity to go to set, which I wanted to bring up partially because it's how we became such good friends Mm -hmm. is I was interacting with you mostly on set when I'd cover my episode cover, meaning I'd go down to set and sort of be the point person along with the director to make sure that the show was in the correct voice. I'd pitch jokes on set. That's always been an amazing way to, you know, have relationships with the actors, with the directors, to get to know how TV is made. TV is like an incredibly dynamic thing, which is changing until the second you put it on TV, basically. But while you're shooting it, there needs to be people there And another thing that the studios are sort of trying to cut away at is the opportunity for writers to go to set at all, except for a showrunner. Why Why are they making this It's all about money. Um, I'm so sorry to tell you this. (laughs) America's really obsessed with money. No, it, it really is, though. It's about shortening writers' contracts. Because if someone goes to set, you have to pay them, which, you know, again... From where I'm sitting, these companies, especially some of these tech behemoths, have so much money that we are making for them. And that Mm -hmm. is all public. You know, how much revenue that these shows that we are making are earning places like Netflix. You'd think you could pay a person to go do the thing that they are both good at, but also it then 
gives them those skills to be able to go make you more shows. So I work with, on our show, Bumper Berlin, Mm -hmm. I have writers who are amazing writers who are producers, but have never been to set before. And that is a major skill set for if you become a producer that you just like need to have. Yeah. And I can speak from an actor's point of view, which is that it made it infinitely easier for me to understand what you were going for as a writer when I was able to communicate with you directly because you were on set and then also you got a chance to get to know us better which meant that if it was easier for you to write in our comedic voice and to our comedic strengths and then when you would pitch stuff like so much of what's in the good place is of course written you know on the script but a lot of what you saw was also funny shit that we came up with on the fly with whichever writer was on set that day where we would pitch ideas back and forth and improvise together. And that made for some amazingly magical moments. And you don't feel confident, as confident when you don't have your your showrunner or your writer on set as an actor, because you're like, fuck, are they going to like this take? Are they going to like this option in the edit? And so you don't have a chance to really advocate for your own opinion. And and, and these are the moments that that lead to really great and timeless art and when there is a synergy between the performer and the creators. There, I also was just like laughing in my head thinking about, because I am, I don't know that it's coming across so much in this conversation, but I'm like a uh, crazy person. And every <laughs> other joke I write I feel like oftentimes you'd be like, so what, what is that? What does this mean? And I'd be like, yes, that's good. We need to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Also to just gas you up, Jamila, when we were living in Berlin last year, shooting this show, uh, Bumper in Berlin, there was a specific joke that had to do with a prop mic that I remember you just like, um, we together like built this little moment and you had a very funny pitch. And then I was able to collaborate with you on that. And I was like, that made the show better. Like, that's the thing is the collaboration in real time and the comfort with that, you know, really does make the stuff we're making better. And that Mm -hmm. always comes back to, for these studios, I'm like, then the better shows make you money. So Give us some. I mean, really, the bottom line is we're just like we are human beings. We are not asking for anything untoward. We just want to be fairly compensated and to have some amount of security, which is what a guild and a union is there for. You're um, also asking to be paid something called residuals, right? Which exactly, is, yeah. Uh, which is after every time a show re-airs again and again and again on on network television, normally, then the actors and the writers and the producers are paid again, not the full amount, but like residuals, like so that if the TV network is profiting off people watching something numerous times, and so are you. And we don't have that anymore as streamers. And why that was important is that a that's fucking fair. If people are consuming and consuming and consuming something that you made, you should be compensated for it. But um, also work is not guaranteed in this industry. We're all technically freelance. And sometimes you can go a year or two years or three years without a good job. And so those residuals used to be what kept young actors, like young struggling actors or young writers in particular, like people who hadn't fully, fully made it, made it would keep them being able to eat and keep a roof over their heads. And now those are disappearing as we are moving off network television onto the streamers because they're like, well, we don't show adverts. Although some of them fucking do. (laughs) Right. We don't show adverts, so therefore we don't have to pay you again. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour 
where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. When Tillamook ice cream beckons you to the freezer aisle, which irresistibly creamy flavor do you choose? While you're thinking, try not to fuck up the glass. Tillamook ice cream. Extraordinary dairy. It also is, um, this is always how the strikes end up happening, that the paradigm and the model of television changes for, you know, with things like streamers. And then we have to, you know, have some amount of leverage to get, it's always like the studio is trying to get one step ahead of paying us money. People who create. That's like really, yes. And I do, uh, we can talk about this too in a moment but i'm like i do think that this is representative of like any artistic profession right now Mm -hmm. is like how do you get the people actually making the art to be paid for it i know in like music it's a big deal but so for you know specifically what we're looking at in this strike is that streaming has become such a huge way of watching television Mm -hmm. even if you like for example The Good Place aired on NBC, but a lot of people really discovered it on Netflix. Also, sorry, just to interject, whenever people come up to me and tell me, oh, I'm on my fifth rewatch of The Good Place, I know that that's not on NBC because they're not just showing it again and again and again. During the pandemic, people watched it multiple times. They all watched it on the streamers, but there's no compensation for the people that made it when they do that, when they repeat watch again and again and again. No, when someone comes up to you and says that you have to be like, give me $20 (laughs) at least, like just of cash. Um, We're striking so they don't have to give you that cash. But for now, you're going to want to... I'm it's so stupid. I'm I am so stupid. I can't believe you let me on your beautiful podcast. I'm uh, making it so dumb. No, I'm trying so hard. Chat GPT is telling me everything to say. But so, I do just want to quickly, just quickly yeah. just add that also because we've been having this conversation about money publicly um for the writers, and some people are saying, you know, we make less than thirty three thousand a year. Uh, if we're lucky, sometimes if we are hired, that's the kind of fees that writers are now looking at under this current model of payment. And then other people watching that have been like, well, that's how much teachers make a year. So why the fuck are you all complaining? And that is valid to to feel of course. like this feels tr- trivial and frivolous. But if these giant studios, these people sitting in boardrooms who have no creative input whatsoever are profiting in the millions and billions, however uh, we feel about the specific number, I think we can all agree that someone deserves a proper piece of the pie that they have baked themselves. Yes. That's all that we're fighting for. It's not about the number. It's about the percentage of what's fair. Absolutely. And just to say, because this is a really important thing that has come up a lot There's a few different points, you know, I'd like to make about the actual pay. The Writers Guild is an, you know, interesting union because there are people at such different walks of life, at different 
basically, you know, class strata at this point Mm -hmm. based on their job. There's a lot of different types of writers who are paid different amounts. Um, So I do think, as you said, it's incredibly valid to acknowledge the fact that there's people who are striking right now who are incredibly well compensated and, you know, are experiencing the strike even differently than people who have just started their careers or haven't worked in a while or, or, you know, any number of things. But as you say, the job of writer is a very strange one in that it is not just a like yearly salary that you're getting. Mm -hmm. So you might see numbers for something like selling a movie script that you just wrote in your house. You wrote a script in your house and you sold it and you made, you know, many thousands of dollars, which of course both is a lot of money and looks like a lot of money. But what we're trying to also sort of educate people on is that that Uh, has a lot of uh, contingencies to it. There is the fact that you give, most writers have a representative like an agent or a manager or both who are people who help you sell those scripts, manage your careers. They usually get 10% of every job that you get. So you'll give- 10% each. 10% each. So you'd give maybe 20% of your money to those people. You also might have a lawyer who helps, you know, draw up contracts and such, and that person would also get a commission, maybe 5%. Then you also, it takes a really long time sometimes to write a movie or a TV show. Uh, So maybe that was two years of work for you. There's also an unbelievable amount of notes on any given project that you're expected to fix within that fee. So even if it took you two years to write that script... I've never gotten a note because I'm um, perfect, (laughs) but for most people, I'd say for like every other person, no. (laughs) It's like everything takes so long and it also is unpaid labor. And some of that is something that we're not even, that is not even like built into the strike because it's just a side effect of being a, you know, creative creative for your job is like, um, it a lot of what you are doing is free labor under the assumption you will get paid at some point. And really what our uh, ask is that after that free labor, what you get paid is enough to fully compensate. And again, give you sort of just like a ability to live in Los Mm -hmm. Angeles. Yeah. And I mean, just to finish on the money thing, someone wrote a tweet saying that basically even if you make hundred thousand dollars on a script with all after tax it becomes and after agents and managers it becomes forty thousand and then it can sometimes take three years to get oh, the yeah. full payment because you only get it in tiny little chunks so four grand is for the first draft and then it kind of changes from there on uh, and you just get little drips and drabs and that can happen over the course of two or three years which amounts to about thirteen thousand and something per year and so if they're take, right. make, taking away the main rooms and we're making mini rooms and we're hiring less and less writers and we're finding more opportunities to hire less and less writers, it means that then there are very few jobs to make in between the script that you've already worked so hard on. So then th- that $13,500 to live in Los Angeles, it's beyond unlivable. Yeah. Beyond and- unlivable. It's living in your car money to or try Jimmy and make your dream come yeah. yeah, exactly. I, t- I take you all in, but... But also just to just to add something that I know that you feel very passionately about is that then we end up with people who already live in a kind of on the social economic back foot being denied entry once again into an industry that was just starting to make progress. And that's yes. people of color, people, you know, from different genders and, and within the LGBTQIA community and women all now not being able to subsidize being paid so far below the minimum wage. Absolutely. And it is, uh, we've talked about this a lot. It is like incredibly important to me uh, in, you know, on our show, but also just in general, that every type of voice is given the opportunity to make entertainment for us. Because I think that everyone who listens to you can agree that makes better 
things. It makes better TV shows. It makes better movies. Mm -hmm. It is a more interesting, beautiful way to experience the world. Now, as it pertains to this strike, the people who are most being affected by the gatekeeping that, you know, this financial structure is uh, basically putting in place are exactly like you said, people of color, disabled writers, older writers, uh, LGBTQIA plus writers, like people who don't come from really wealthy backgrounds, which I actually think is a really major issue in the writing industry is like, how do we make this a career that you don't have to be independently wealthy to succeed in? And again, these are things that are affecting, you know, I'm not an expert, but as far as I can tell, every artistic endeavor, probably every industry Mm -hmm. is like, as the people at the top are amassing more and more of the money, it leaves less and less wiggle room for anybody to get in who does not have a cushion already in place. Yeah. And by the way, also, I just want to make one quick point, which is that what the writers are striking for are the same things, not the same exact things, but they are things that are going to set a precedent for other unions within the industry Mm -hmm. to be able to follow through on when it comes to fair pay and being hired and being protected and being given insurance. Like this is going to impact all the rest of us in the industry, which is why we're all standing in solidarity with the writers. But also as a consumer of art, as someone who grew up never thinking I would be an actor, but someone who just loved movies and television and music, it has been sad for me to be uh, old enough to remember the golden era, what I felt was a golden era of film and television and music and not to say some amazing work doesn't still come out I'm lucky to have been you know to have participated in some of those projects that have been that are incredible but there was a time where people used to treat creators with more respect in this industry and they used to create a cushioned environment for them to do their best work and they knew that to invest in the writers and to invest in the artists was to invest in the work and the output. And that's what was going to win you awards. And that was going to bring people to the movie theatres. And over time now, all that money just goes to who has the biggest following on social media, who's in your project, who you hired often based on their social media following, rather than really like investing into the foundation of the project. We see the same thing in music. We find out that you can have a number one album on Spotify and the artist doesn't see any money from that. So unless they're very good at touring and very good at social media and marketing Mm -hmm. themselves, they are fucked financially. We see all these people, we presume they must be millionaires. I meet these people. They have no fucking money because they aren't getting paid properly by streamers. Streamers are amazing because they democratize the art that we're able to see. And we wouldn't have seen maybe so many women and marginalized people break through the kind of bro code of writing uh, had we not had streamers because it created more opportunities for art to be put out. However... We then have to move with the times, otherwise art is going to continue to die and we're going to keep having musicians making songs that have seven seconds worth of goodness that'll go viral on TikTok. Right. And we won't have great albums. Like we don't have great albums very often anymore. And we're going to have bullshit TV shows and we're going to keep watching shows from 10 or 15 or 20 years ago wishing that we still had content like that and then yes. seeing remakes of that amazing content <laughs> rather than just investing in people who can tell the new fucking stories sorry to rant but oh my god as, as a no. consumer i'm just like we all lose if this continues to go in this direction if this becomes a banking like a money laundering <laughs> thing oh there's been so many times art. that i'm like am I part of some weird money laundering scheme that's way bigger than I can possibly understand? Mm -hmm. I do think there's a very, this is like maybe a little abstract, but again, all we have to do right now is just think and talk about this while, you know, picketing all day. Mm -hmm. I do think that you're like the current structure of television, at least, which is what I've primarily worked in almost like incentivizes you to for mediocrity. It like incentivizes you to make things as quick as possible with as few people as possible and to just, I mean, that the when they started calling it content, which like, sure, I'll call it content. It is very descriptive of what 
of a change in how they saw television mm-hmm. shows that it is Very not reductive. art. It's content to like fill your days and your, you know, brains and whatever. And also I'm not, as we've said on this podcast, I'm stupid. I don't, I'm not like a snob about things. And there's plenty of things that I love that I wouldn't call like high art. Um, but they are, you can tell that someone had a point of view and someone mm-hmm. wanted to make it. Um, and, you know, you brought up a good point, which was that there was this huge boom of TV shows in in number, like a few years ago when things like Netflix and Apple and everything started making a ton more shows. That was good in some ways in that a lot more writers got their first job. And a lot of those writers were from, you know, different groups of people than had been previously uh, represented in TV writers' rooms, of which it was almost entirely like cis het white men for a long time. So that was great, but we need to create a type of structure where those writers can get their second and third job and, you know, and learn and become showrunners because the imbat, and this is maybe like a little off topic, but it's very interesting to me as someone very, you know, active in the guild. It's like, if you look at diversity in every writer's room, it's of course going up than it was a decade ago, two decades ago, but there still is a bottleneck at the top. So most people who are running shows are still white men to generalize. And the number of people who are able to get to that level of writer uh, who are from different groups are is still like trailing behind so that's why it's very important aside from you know just the the pay which of course is incredibly concrete and tangible it's important to to restructure our entire industry so that people are not just like cast aside after their first job Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So now, mm-hmm. let's talk about the, the part of this conversation that has taken over the writer strike right. narrative, which is AI. And there is a... How funny my picket signs are. Oh, no. AI. Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah, and poor old General Ortega, who everyone seems to be sending for on the front line of the pickets. People Um, just really latch on to... It's like there's one main character of the picket line a day. Um, No, AI is like the flashiest thing. And this, I think, also uh, sort of like bridges into a discussion of like how this strike to me is representative of so many things that affect literally everyone in this country. Mm-hmm. But so the AI thing is the flashiest part of what we're striking for. But in some ways, it's not even the most kind of like potent potent for right mm-hmm. now. Right now, I would say that writers in the short term are really prioritizing those minimum room sizes because, again, just because we need humans to have jobs and um, residuals from streaming so that we get paid for, as you said, when people watch things over and over again on Netflix, of which we don't get a cent. Um, But the AI stuff, which I am like, you know, generally just really interested in it and have been observing it like a nerd since I guess I heard about ChatGPT in like December. Um, The... The language models have 
exploded in how I'm trying to think of a better word than intelligent, but like in how intelligent they have started to seem to be. So have if, have you played with ChatGPT? Oh yeah, before? I am. Um, yeah. My manager was asking me to ask it a question because she was showing me how it worked, and I uh, I asked, um, "Why is Jamila Jamil so annoying?" <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's just- my God, what did it say? I just wanted to know. It said, I haven't looked into her much. Rude. Um, uh, and it said, <laughs> why do you have a problem with her? Which I thought was a really okay. interesting, like, I love uh, that. emotionally intelligent response. Of, like, I don't know. It Wait, just felt like quite totally socially on... responsible. But also I was frustrated because I, I know exactly why I'm annoying. And I, I thought there'd be some quite clear answers, chat GPT. Um, but yeah. It's uh that's hilarious. Basically, and- Chat GPT said, I don't know her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think that was pretty tactful. Chat GPT is just doing that really tactful Hollywood thing because it's gonna want you to hire it someday. Yeah. So <laughs> so okay, so here's where we are right now. It is May 15th, 2023. In like a week, I have no idea what chat GPT is going to be like because it's like this exponential learning curve. But it is a language model slash anything like it. Uh, it reads everything ever written online, basically, and can mimic how human beings write because of that. And it you can it's also being it- constantly updated by Kenyan workers who are working way below the minimum wage who are being totally extorted in order to be able to continue to like finesse the software. I just didn't so that we know about that, but that oh, also crazy. is crazy. Insane. I will yeah. go educate myself. But like, yeah. basically, the Writers Guild has tried to get ahead of the fact that right now ChatGPT cannot write a good episode of TV. It just cannot. People have tried and played with it like, my boyfriend and I tried to get it to like write an episode of Frasier and, you know, Frasier's hilarious. So it did not capture Frasier's voice. It is something, though, that is becoming smart so quickly that we are just trying to put into place now this idea that ChatGPT has to be used as a tool and not as an entity, which is a really wild thing to wrap your head around. But it would be as if, uh, so so we want to say, like, realistically, writers are going to be using ChatGPT. They already do in certain industries, like journalists use it for leads. And uh, I know, like, you know. Well, they're not some... going to be able to get anything on me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know her. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love if even ChatGPT started giving out information about Priyanka Chopra. I think it would be funny <laughs> if you asked if you asked ChatGPT anything and it just started talking about Priyanka Chopra. A hundred percent. Yeah. Just be um, like, what why are you obsessed? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I can't wait until ChatGPT uh is so human equivalent that it develops strange obsessions and won't stop talking about them. That would Mm -hmm. feel very good. But -hmm. anyway, the technology is not at the place yet that there could be zero writers. But something that was deeply disturbing is that, and, and I will say as a side note, the WGA is very transparent with its members and with the public. When the negotiation, before the negotiations, our strike committee had all these meetings with like any member who wanted to voice their concerns or support or whatever to like hear what writers really wanted. And after the strike negotiations obviously broke down and we struck, uh, they released a list of everything they asked for and what the studios came back to them with. And what we asked for for AI And I would highly recommend looking at it. I can send you the link, Jamila. But like, we asked that there be basically minimum human requirements of writers' rooms and that ChatGPT be not defined as like a entity that could be hired. And what the studios came back with was, we will not agree to that. We will consider having yearly meetings where we can talk about the technology. But that is so, I would say, patronizing to be like, what What do you think that's going to do? We have to put into place right now 
before ChatGPT is better than it is, that there need to be real humans making this art. So ideally what they want is for, uh, you know, when you talk about breaking a story, they want chat GPT or whatever other AI tool to be able to do that. Yes. And and then have one or maybe two writers yes. who are very experienced, who are already with their foot in the door experienced to punch up that script and make it good enough for human consumption. Right. Which, you know, brings up almost ethical or philosophical ideas of like, what is art that um, I, as a stupid person, don't feel that I can even always wrap my head around. No, but, but I we do know that this already completely gate-kept industry that is only just starting to break minorities Exactly. In, is then, like, they're all just going to be replaced by people who are already seasoned, who are predominantly privileged white people who don't have disabilities and who are, yeah. you know. No, I was like, if if that happens, and again, you know, I have had an amazing career, which I attribute to luck and to the people who mentored me. I don't, I have been incredibly fortunate, but when I think of a structure like that, where it's like chat GPT and a writer, I'm like, I probably get to do that. I mean, mark my words, I'll be, watch me never write again uh, if, if chat GPT is in charge, but then it would be people who look like me. And then it would turn into also like the most homogenous mediocre storytelling, my mm -hmm. bread and butter. But also, I have to believe somewhere that, you know, even from a economic financial standpoint, that human beings still want to respond to art that is made by humans. And mm -hmm. we're in uncharted territory there. But I think it's one of the reasons that the writer strike, and this is good news for people like me, the amount of like support and solidarity and just excitement that I've seen from everyone in LA, from everyone across the country is completely overwhelming. And part of it is because I do think that this strike feels like it is bigger than just the writers, that it is a like... It's almost like everything we've been seeing across tech, across the oligarchization of America, of late capitalism, all the stuff that it, it that it is coming to a head in the writer's strike. And I have personally been incredibly overwhelmed by like how kind of emotional and inspiring it has been to be like, we all want a different uh, economic structure and not we all, but a lot of people in the vast majority want a different economic structure in this country. And it bleeds out, as I said, across other parts of our industry. It is, and I so agree with you that it's like, this is the late stage capitalism reckoning that was always on its way. And I'm glad it's here. Although I feel extremely afraid for my friends who are writers right now, and actually just anyone who works in this industry, because uh, their health insurance is being paused in order to take this stand. Like they are running out of money. They don't know how long this is going to last. This is not yeah. going to be a short thing because the other, the, the people who have to give out that money are digging their heels in as much as possible. And so we feel like we're looking down the barrel of another three, four, five month strike. And I, I remember, you know, when I got here, people used to talk about the strike of 2007 with such like kind of, doom and horror because not only did that destroy the lives of so many young writers in particular who had to then move home or had to go and find other work or who lost their health insurance and got really really sick mm -hmm. um but also the art that came out of that strike was dog shit like television was ruined for, for years uh, but people always talked about it and this one feels like it's going to be even bigger longer and more significant but what is being fought for is going to change this industry for everyone and therefore change what the yeah. consumers get to consume. If you want shit that you're going to want to watch again and again and again, it can't be written by a motherfucking robot who, <laughs> by the way, when it comes to minorities or people with disabilities or people from different genders or, or uh, sexuality backgrounds, what has been written up until so recently for the last few decades has been so reductive mm -hmm. as to our experience. Yeah. 
It has been so, like, the way women have been written. I've often talked about the fact that when, uh, that men can write for like extraterrestrials sometimes easier than they find it <laughs> writing for women. Like Alien and Predator like, have, have better arcs and E.T. Than, than women's roles where we're always written in the same sort of three ways. And so, so the funny. only way for our experiences as minorities to be represented authentically and for us not to be treated as a monolith uh, and reduced to the most like imbecilic, like, uh, or the, the most reductive stereotype means that we need those voices in those writers room and if technology is just being updated with what we have up until now then there's mm-hmm. barely anything to go off that oh re- yeah that reflects the majority of us you do not want chat gpt learning from the most the parties so that that sellers you know where like indian people only talk like this and howdy partner like it's like there's that we are there are people who speak like that that's great let's keep them in films but let's also have other people you know like me or like any of the like Riz Ahmed like let's let's allow that let's allow us to have an actual diaspora that is reflected in art it's just bonkers it also is uh yeah it's like if ChatGPT is learning from only the most reductive at best and like offensive at worst things it's like Mm -hmm. well then then we've stopped then evolution has stopped. And I do think, you know, you're, you make a very good point, which is like, this affects every member of the industry, which this is, you know, kind of in the weeds a little bit, but the directors, the DGA, the Directors Guild of America, and then SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, are both, currently the directors are negotiating with the same group that we're striking against. And SAG is going to two later. And my hope, and this is kind of a complicated issue, not the least of which is because like it hasn't happened yet. I think that there's a lot of feeling of solidarity across every single guild right mm-hmm. now. Actors. We also, there's a guild called IATSE, which represents a lot of different types of people, including um, the Teamsters who like, you know, hair, dry, makeup, ADs, like- hair and makeup, editors, their mm-hmm. animation shows um, lots of different members of the entertainment industry who are showing an unbelievable amount of solidarity with us. Like Teamsters, who drive the trucks on set, among other things, don't cross our picket lines, which is partially what's shut down some productions. And let me tell you, it feels so cool. Not that we don't want those people to get paid or be compensated And it obviously, we want TV to just be made fairly. We love it. That's why we do this. But to be able to have that solidarity translate into Mm -hmm. literal change right in front of you and, you know, costing the studios money is pretty amazing. And that, I I do want to say this too, because I think one of the counter narratives against the writers is like, we are all rich and not caring about hair and makeup artists or, you know, crew members or whatever who are losing their jobs when we shut, when we quote unquote shut down productions. And I just want to say, speaking for both myself, but also all of us, we don't want to be doing this. Like we don't want to be on strike. We all do the jobs we do because we love it and we are so passionate about it. But we also... So, so when it's said like the the writers shut down this thing, we're like, no, the studios shut it down because they would not fairly pay us and give us protection and all the things we've been talking about. The studios are the ones who shut down the conversation and we're not doing this for fun. So I do think that that's an important distinction. And if you read about the strike in some of the Hollywood trades, there is seemingly a bit of a bent of like, writers shut down this thing, writers shut down that thing. And I was like, no, this is because the guy Reed. who runs, yeah, yeah a, a Discovery Plus makes like half a billion dollars a year or whatever. So I, I would say that our hearts are with every other person in this industry who's trying to just like make a honest living and... We also feel bad that there's collateral, but 
you know, you have to do stuff like this or else the industry gets away from everybody. hundred percent. An oligarchy. <laughs> well, it's coming also towards actors where they're now telling us, you know, there are certain studios who want uh, our contracts to reflect that we can sell our faces and voices. They can buy right. our faces and voices and use them for AI created movies in which we aren't there on set, in which we don't need hair or makeup teams uh, or wardrobes. And we don't need to be physically there. We can f- we can be making four projects all at the same time because it's just us sitting at home while our face right. and voice is used for uh, these animated projects. Right. And, and what they're saying is that they want to <laughs> own our faces and voices uh, across the universe is the literal language in perpetuity forever. <laughs> That's what in perpetuity means. So the idea that this is, I mean, the, the, I don't even know what the word, what the words are for how terrorizing and insane that verbiage is. I can't give you the words cause I'm on strike, but I'm sure I yeah. can think of them. <laughs> I also was about to say, <laughs> For my birthday, can I have your face across the universe? Just yeah. <laughs> but uh, across the universe, like regardless it's so of what. Creepy. But, but it's and, so and they're creepy. trying to the secure it for technologies that may be invented in the future exactly. in the universe in perpetuity. Like the eternal nature of like the ownership of us means that we're not gonna put any human emotion into anything we do. Like if this is a, we are at the beginning of a, a spiral here. And it's going to be a fast-tracked spiral. And so we all have to stand in solidarity with the writers because everything you're fighting for is going to impact all of us. With If we do not stop the, the current model of the AI fast train, which is not, again, like the, the main thing that writers are striking for, but it is one very important thing because if we exactly. don't stop that train now, there will be no more writers, there will be no transportation people, there will be no more hair, makeup, wardrobe, production assistants, people building sets everything will be done on a computer by a very small group of already privileged people. I have been, you know, picketing all day, every day, doing some other related things. And there's been so many people from other, not just guilds, but other industries who have joined us on the picket line. And I would say to anyone who's listening to this in the New York or LA area, like, Come hang out with us. It's amazing. You're all welcome, whether or not you're a current writer or you want to be one or you just want to like hang out with people. I've also met some of the most amazing writers on the picket line who I'm just like fans of, um, which is really exciting. But I do think it's like, you know, school teachers are a group who have experienced this a lot. They have had to go on strike this year, I think, so in crazy. Los Angeles. And um, I personally, as someone who just like, in theory, has always been an incredibly big supporter of unions and um, workers taking control of their own production, I was like, I'll go, the next time I see a picket line, if it's teachers or any other union, like, I would love to go be a part of it. There's a really amazing feeling of community. Um, so that's been very exciting. Do you feel hopeful about everything that everyone's fighting for? That is a great question because it's something that, you know, kind of comes up. A lot of people are like, how long is this strike going to last? And the, the answer is we do not know the, uh, you know, last time in, uh, 2007, it lasted a hundred days. I think we're all preparing for at least that length, um, mm-hmm. which would take us through the summer. But the thing is, is we are not the ones, as I said before, who like want to be doing this. Mm-hmm. The ball is really in the studio's courts to be like, what do you, what is your end game with this? But to answer your question of whether or not I'm hopeful, I am like such a cynical bitch. And I am like incredibly hopeful about this because the feeling of, again, not just the writers, but kind of all the guilds is so passionate and intense that we need to be doing this. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, we had to, the writers had to authorize a strike before it happened. We all had to vote on like, if negotiations break down, 
are you willing to step away and strike for as long as as you need to? And we got a 98% supportive vote for the strike confirmation, which is like an unreal amount of solidarity for a union that big. Mm -hmm. It's like thousands of people standing together. And I can tell you this from just like being there on the front lines. People are so fucking mad and are ready to do this as long as they need to. Now, of course, that is such a huge question mark because like we're people. We all have families to support and rent and you know, any number of other things. And it's like, at some point, we individual people run out of money when you do not have a job. So Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot of uncertainty and scariness for everyone at all walks of their life. But it the resolve has not wavered at all. And I find that very inspiring. Well, thank you for all of this information. I know that people have been messaging me for two weeks now asking for more clarity on the on the situation and why it's important what it pertains to and I really appreciate you for being so clear and frank about all of this um and I will see you on the picket line and just from me to you uh I want to say thank you for all your great writing because most of the best things I've ever said with my mouth have come from your brain (laughs) And I really appreciate it. I appreciate the work writers do. And I stand in solidarity with all of you forever. Well, you know, if this strike just allowed me to have a wonderful conversation with you for an hour, (laughs) it was all worth it. (laughs) And I am honored to have uh, spoken like an expert about something I barely understand. (laughs) (laughs) Megan Amram, thank Thank you. you for coming. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. Hello, I'm Gayan and I'm from Belgium. I weigh my kindness and empathy, my unapologetic loudness and humor, my queerness and sexuality. I weigh my art and love for movies and books. And I weigh my mistakes, and there are many, and my ability to learn from them. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.